Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And we have such a fun episode. We are sitting down with Laura and Alice from Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour, to discuss um, a very interesting arc of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Um, and that is uh, the Rush Clovis arc in season six. Um, that is an old friend, the Rise of Clovis and Crisis at the Heart. So first of all, Laura and Alice, how are you doing? Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Happy Saturday. Absolutely. Um, so before we get into all of that, I do want to get a little bit of your background in coming into Star Wars. So either order, it doesn't matter. Um, how did you both get into Star Wars and how did Force Toast the Star Wars Happy Hour happen? Go ahead, Alice, you can start. All right. So I have always been into, you know, the nerd stuff and Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all the good things. And when I was little, I remember watching, we used to steal the Disney Channel with one of those little switch boxes because it used to cost money separate. And um, the Ewok movies came on all the time, and I loved them because I was a little girl, the main character's a little girl. I'm like, this is so cool. I love it. And uh, those were some of my favorites. And then one day, a few years later, or at some point, I was just flipping through channels at my grandmother's house, and I saw the Ewoks. And I was like, yeah, Ewoks, woo! And, uh, of course, it was Return of the Jedi. So that made me really excited and um, – I've always enjoyed Star Wars, like for my, I didn't do a high school graduation trip, um, but my friends and I did the midnight showing of Revenge of the Sith. And then a few years ago, I was just having a really stressful time and I was like, okay, I just need something relaxing to have on. And I just kept doing Star Wars, everything. I had the movies on repeat. I started reading the books, started listening to podcasts and all that good stuff. Um, so the, uh, my whole journey into Star Wars started a little bit later than Alice's. I kind of came into it as an adult, which is weird, um, but but it's fine. And uh, the in terms of like the movies and stuff that were coming out around that time, it was like the Force Awakens trailer that kind of got me like really started into it. Like that's what sort of motivated me to be like, oh yeah, this is like a cultural phenomenon that I should probably know about. So I sat and watched all the movies start to finish in release order and um started watching the clone wars and then watched rebels and rebels was kind of that thing that really really solidified my place in the star wars fandom um because you know it was that thing that was like coming out new every week and so i got to like experience a new star wars thing with other people at the same time uh which i think was like you know it was huge in terms of like really getting me into like the fandom and trying to find other people to that are like watching the show. And so I'm like spending all this time on Twitter and Reddit and finding all these people who have this common interest. And so that, that kind of really drew me in. Um, it, I went to Star Wars Celebration in 2017. That was like my first con anywhere. And that's where like some people were playing Star Wars trivia and just waiting in line while we were staying up all night, waiting in these long lines before they started doing the lotteries at conventions. Uh, and that was kind of my first thing of like, oh, like I've retained a lot of this information. And when I came back, I started going to Star Wars uh, pub trivias in Chicago. And that is how Alice and I met. We uh, were both sort of hitting the trivia circuit and probably like 
I don't know. Was that 2017? Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. When Return of, I mean, uh, The Last Jedi was coming out and I vividly remember I'd be searching Facebook for trivia events and I'd play by myself because I don't have any friends. And um <laughs> I remember on one of the event posting, there there's someone who posted like, mm, "Is there gonna be legends in this trivia?" And it was Laura. I was like, "Who is that girl with the bangs? Like, she's my arch nemesis." <laughs> and at one of the trivia's, I saw her there, and I was I was like, "Oh, that's that girl." Um, but yeah, we both went around just like crushing it, and then the very last trivia of the season. Um, the trivia master we had both met on separate outings and he was like hey you guys have to meet da, 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 da. and we just talked and exchanged podcasts we listened to and like hung out all night at the bar drinking beer it was great it was a wild ride it's fun to see i don't know uh i know when jacob heard the rebels thing with you laura i think i know he just lit up because that's, um, this is what I keep doing. I keep inviting guests who are just in love with Rebels. Um, not that I'm not. Um, and, and Jacob's like, oh, you brought another one. Uh, <laughs> I also then, consider myself kind of Rebels is also, I was a Star Wars fan before that, but FYI, like Rebels, I think same as you, Laura. I, I watched that as it was coming out. That was the first thing I watched that was coming out. I think that's, a, even, if, even if you are involved in Star Wars before, Watching something as it comes out, I feel like is a special experience. Oh, it's and that huge just, for me. That just like, oh my gosh, even I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Oh my gosh, like it just it felt like it made it so much bigger. And I realized that I re like wait, like I'm a fan. Like this is this is big. Like I'm part of something bigger than myself. Yeah, and it's really great now that Disney Plus like has all the episodes streaming because I feel like so many people have like gotten into that show since disney plus became a thing because it was really i mean it was really hard to access before it was like whatever not disney plus i don't remember what it was called now but whatever disney app there was like never had more than like i don't know a couple episodes on it like it, it was just hard to find so now that it's it's you know easy access i feel like there are new rebels fans popping up all the time and i just love seeing that yeah i remember when it was coming out i watched it on amazon prime video i had to they had to like buy every season, but then they kept splitting the seasons in half. So you had to buy the first half and then you thought you were good. And then you had to buy the second half of the season when it came oh, back yeah. after the winter break. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's really good to see now that it's just all in one place and you can get it there. Um, it, yeah. It's great to see, especially after, you know, the clone wars went off of Netflix. Those, that, those were the dark times in my yeah. opinion. And there was no <laughs> Disney plus and no clone wars on Netflix. That was the worst, in my opinion, for Star Wars TV. <laughs> Frankly, it was still, still so weird to me that they released The Clone Wars onto Netflix in the first place. Um, and that we're doing the Netflix season now. Like, I specifically remember going to Netflix and being like, oh, these are the lost missions. These are the special ones. Um, when really they were just like, yeah, here's just 16 more episodes. Just slap <laughs> them all right in front of you. Um, uh, but... Moving on from that, uh, let's get into our first episode, if we're all good. I think we're all good. Um, good. Uh, first episode is an old friend. Our fortune cookie is, to love is to trust. To trust is to believe. Uh, what did you all think about that, anybody? 
I feel like that fortune cookie would have applied better to the last episode in this arc, episode seven of, of season six. That just, it, it seems more fitting uh, to that one. Yeah, I think this is definitely one that could be applied to to the whole the whole shebang, in my opinion. But it's interesting to me, Anakin, obviously, he's so worried about protecting Padme in this arc and not wanting, in a, in a larger sense, not wanting the people that he loves to leave his side to, to hurt, to get hurt, especially after Ahsoka leaves, that he doesn't, he ends up not trusting her to do the right thing and not believing in her. And obviously that ends up severely straining, straining their relationship. So I think that this can kind of be applied to, to the whole arc, to all three episodes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if, yeah, if I had to pick one to slap it on, I think the last episode might've been a, a little bit of a better place in my opinion. It's one of those things with uh, the later arcs of seasons uh, six and seven, where Jacobs talked a lot about the arcs blending together, and that's what they do. It's like it's hard to remember where one episode starts in this arc and the other one and, and other ones begin and um, where they end. Uh, and I feel like all three of these could have applied to the entire arc. So it's weird, kind of splitting them up into pieces and saying, "Oh yeah." Uh, here's the fortune cookie for this one, and here's the fortune cookie for that one. Jumping into the episode, I, I'd like to start with this one. I love how the opening narration basically says to us that Padme is the only one getting anything done in the Senate. Jacob and I have talked about this on the show in the past, but there are, like, missions and meetings where Padme totally should not have been, but she was there because she's the only one who cares, apparently. Um, and it's it's so strange to me. Well, yeah, she even go ahead, Alice. Sorry, they also expect a lot of their senators. I feel like they're on James Bond missions in order to be effective, where that seems like a bit much for the uh, average Joe, <laughs> right? I mean, Padme kind of seems like a, a super senator in the Clone Wars, <laughs> she she's does. super influential, everyone's always talking about what an amazing speaker she is, what an amazing negotiator she is. Everyone always needs her for something, you know? She she's, was like the Star Wars equivalent of an, an influencer. Like yeah, then. she's so in demand. So in demand. Um, yeah, we've also talked a lot on the show in the past about, and I feel like this is true, how Padme is often said to be this great legislator and negotiator and how she never backs any of that up. Um, how she's How she's like... Hey, I have this really cool idea, and everybody's like, "You're too much of an idealist. This will never happen." And then it doesn't, and people are like, "But you're so great, though." <laughs> but she looks great doing it. No, she is such a super idealist, and I mean, it's it's kind of sad because she does mention, I think, at some point in this arc, where she's just like, "You know, I've exposed corruption during this war before, and like nobody gave a shit." So it's <laughs> it's just really kind of. I feel bad for her, you know, I feel for it. And this is the Clone Wars is one of those things that really sort of like redeemed Padme for me a little bit. I've never really loved the character. Even today, I still I still kind of don't. But you do feel for her a lot in, in these types of situations. Yeah, no, it, it, the Clone Wars really does uh, do a great job, I think, um, of, of showing how a lot of these characters, Ahsoka recently, um, that would that's what comes to mind you know in, in her final arc padme as you said laura a lot of the time 
they, they, these characters, especially Padme, she really tries to do the right thing, but she gets foiled because Palpatine is just being Palpatine, yeah. you know? I think like, of that it, with fives as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And no matter what you do, it seems like Palpatine's always one step ahead. He's always manipulating the situation to make Padme or, or Ahsoka or fives or whoever it is look bad, make himself look good. So, and then at the end of this, he's like, oh, I will reluctantly take control of the banks. Oh, no, I don't oh, want to no. have to take control if of the I banks. If I have to. Yeah, but you know he wants to take control of the banks. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me, you know, the things he does against um, Ahsoka and Fives are, uh, are obviously horrendous. But this, the, the campaign he goes on specifically against Padme doesn't feel like, he wants to keep his secret quiet as much as it feels like he wants to specifically punish Padme. I feel like he's the kind of guy that would be like, so Padme ruined all my plans um, in on Naboo 13 years ago. I'm not forgetting about that. She's also the only person keeping Anakin tethered to the light side. Not forgetting about that either. So I'm just going to make her life as miserable as possible. Uh, and complicate Anakin's too. I mean, like yeah. he's getting he's getting two birds with one stone here, and in, yeah. in, in tempting Anakin, knowing that he's going to have that crazy negative reaction to her having to spend any time even near Clovis. Yeah, yeah, he definitely he definitely knows something. At least he knows at least something is up with Padme and Clovis, and he definitely manipulates that in this arc. Um, and yeah, as we will get to, obviously he. Uh, he, t- he turns every situation into pushing Anakin closer to the uh, to the dark side. But to talk about the banking scandal, because that's kind of where this episode episode kind of kicks off. You know, I think that it's unfortunate for Padme that she is always in this kind of episode because I don't think the Clone Wars does the best job with these super politics heavy kind of arcs where it's, it's really, um, it can really be kind of vague and, and just the story can really get bogged down in itself. But I do think that, I do think that Padme, um, does get some opportunities to, to shine in this one. So I'm not too, I'm not too frustrated with the the way that this one takes shape. Um, but I mean, the scandal of the the banks stealing from both sides to prop themselves up, you know, profiteering, it, it's pretty standard Clone Wars stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, what do you what do you what do you guys think? What does everybody think about this? The political side of the episode, because I, I really wasn't sure what to make of it, what to kind of takeaway I, I didn't find it particularly digestible there was this sense for me of it, there was very lucas-esque it was like um so how does this work no no shut up shut up shut up shut up it works okay um just we're gonna say it works you don't need to know how it works but it works but we saw the screens with the red blinky um you know hex hexagons and arrows so that should be enough right and that's it yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like i know i know a lot of people complain about oh the prequels have too much politics oh the clone wars 
doesn't do a good job with politics. But I think in this instance, it honestly would have done a better job had it gone deeper. Because I feel like here, they're just kind of saying, okay, this is the problem. Go deal with it without really, I don't know, without really kind of adequately letting it, letting it flush itself out. See, and I was kind of surprised that they went as deep as they did, because I think that the thing to keep in perspective is that the show was was made for kids, you know, and like you don't want to get kids bogged down into any political type of thing. But the I think the thing that stuck out for me and it's always when I think about the fact that this show premiered in 2008 and like you talk about, you know, the financial crisis that happened around that time and how the banks basically all of our banks like just got away with it and like really no consequences to anybody and so you when you bring in a sort of arc like this that i think is supposed to sort of speak to that a little bit and be a little bit of like a commentary on that like it's interesting to sort of think about in that real world context i think but it's interesting for me as an adult it wouldn't have been interesting for me as a child in 2014 when this show was airing yeah i wasn't a child in 2014 but for any children who were watching it then yeah i definitely think if i had watched this in in 2014 yeah, I definitely would not have been asking asking for more. I think I'm kind of a sucker for a lot of the the, the intrigue of the of the Clone Wars. You can say it. But yeah, maybe that wouldn't have you can say it. Peeling back the layers there as I go. as Eli thinks I, I say too much, you know, getting to the bottom of these 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 mysteries, you know, boom, boom, the 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 layers of, of conflict stacking up, getting peeled back, whatever you want to say. Um but yeah, I, I do think that for kids. But yeah, I mean the real world. The the real world kind of references the implications of this episode. Definitely, I think. Um, I thought they were welcome. You know, they certainly they certainly didn't go over my head. Um, and whether it's whether it's um things that are happening currently or more recently, or or in two thousand eight, you know. I, I definitely like when the Clone Wars isn't afraid to uh, to go there, you know, and and make some references more to some real world real world happenings. See, I actually had another historical um, uh, parallel to this. Did any of you think Switzerland for Scipio? Because that's where my mind immediately went. Because it's the their one goal with Scipio is constantly this is neutral. This is neutral territory. And that's also what Switzerland does a lot. Yeah, that definitely came to mind, I think. Also, like, the the snowy Rocky Mountains, like, they have those in Switzerland. Uh, yeah, what I'm saying, Scipio is Switzerland. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I, I looked on, um, as I often do to, to collect information and prepare myself, I looked through the, um, the StarWars.com watch-along, um, the rewatch guide for this episode, and in the trivia gallery, they actually said, um, "Yeah, Scipio was inspired by uh, by Switzerland," which um, obviously not surprising. Um, but if we're talking about Scipio for a minute, I just want to gush about the the design and the visuals because one thing I love about the the later Clone Wars is the visuals. And this episode, I I loved it. This arc, um, I really like the the design of the banks. The really the elaborate cogs, um, especially in later episodes, the the ticker tape wrapping around all the walls in um, 
in Oribesh, um, the little codes. I thought that was really cool. Um, it is a really cool. pretty episode to look at. I mean, when you get all of those, like, you know, wide shots of Coruscant and of Scipio and, you know, the inside of the vault and everything was very cool to see. So I, I enjoyed that part of it. But in general, I, I tend to really like uh, a lot of the sort of art direction of some of the later episodes where just yeah. the animation style is a little bit easier on the eyes, I think, too, by the time we get to this point in time. So it was just in general, uh, there was a lot to a lot, a lot of nice stuff to look at in this arc. Yeah, it was a really pretty episode, really pretty arc. And I'm a, t I'm a total sucker for the the big wide shots when you can kind of see how the frames were, were painted and everything. I, I, I mean, just that so Star cool. Destroyer in that shot from, I think it was the third episode. Like, that was beautiful. That was vivid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, another thing I wanted to, to bring up, um, you know, um, when when Anakin arrives, um, obviously it doesn't take long for Anakin's jealous, possessive side to come out when Clovis is mentioned. You know, he puts duty first, but he hates it when Padme does the same thing. Um, what do we what do we make of Anakin and Clovis when they when they meet again? Um, because I thought that that uh, that scene was was really great when they had their little they had their little spat or confrontation. Um, go ahead Alice I'll let you start oh I had forgotten where Clovis came from in the first place so <laughs> I could be missing something there um, I, I mean Anakin's always a little fussy right so eh. I love jealous Anakin it's one of my favorite forms of Anakin to show up because he's just He's so funny when he's angry and he gets angry so easily. But in this particular situation, I think it's just it, it's fun to see just because I think we spent so much time in the movies not getting to really know what their marriage was really like and what their relationship was really like. They spent so much time like separate, I think, uh, even in the Clone Wars, there's a lot of that, too. So getting like these little ends to what their relationship is like uh, is, is just insightful, I think, for me, for these characters. It's interesting that you f find jealous Anakin funny, Laura. I don't know. I was like, every time Anakin walked on screen, I'm like, oh, no, what's he going to do this time? Uh, there was that shot that I wanted to mention. When Anakin arrives on Scipio, they don't shoot his body above his waist, which was, I have to believe that was an intentional choice. Um, and, like, they don't, they only do that for villains. They don't do that for heroes. And I like the whole juxtaposition and then of course anakin when she, he walks into the cell his shadow looks oddly like vader's um and it's those juxtapositions between anakin and vader in this arc that i think makes it so special that we're seeing vader come out in anakin more than we probably ever have before yeah, i love it when they throw in all the little the little hints of uh of what's to come for Anakin um, in the Clone Wars. I really like that when they do that. Um, uh, I love the cool wolf dog thing that the bounty hunter has. It's just a really interesting looking animal. So I, and I love anything that's sort of similar to any kind of dog in Star Wars. I just think that's a fun thing to insert every now and then. And the fact that this very evil, like alien bounty hunter has a pet is just cute to me. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah, I was telling um, I was telling Eli when we 
were just chatting before you joined that the little snow chase at the end I really liked yes. because it reminded me of playing Crash Bandicoot. Nice. <laughs> My thing with that chase at the end, which I was, I was talking to Alice about this before we were recording, is my favorite thing is that Embo uses his hat as um, a skateboard, a snowboard, basically. And what I really wanted from that scene was he pulls out a, a, a hologram of Sidious right after he gets away. I really wish that was inside his helmet. So they just completely followed through with the gag and just put it inside his helmet. And yeah, and they're like, yeah, that he uses this helmet for everything. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they had a half pipe and snowboarding in this episode. So they're like, yeah, no, we're good. We got enough gimmicks here, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I love that they weren't afraid to go there and just be like, yeah, sure, Embo, he's snowboarding and he's he's got a space dog. Yeah, sure, why not? And honestly, that one moment where he just he gives his dog a little space dog a little little pet on the head after they get away. After after seeing um after seeing what happened to the massive in in episode 1 of Book of Boba Fett, after seeing everything that happens to animals in Star Wars, a lot of a lot of animals getting getting beaten up on sometimes, I feel. That was just a that was just a nice moment. I thought it was a, a real breath of fresh air for me. Um, yeah, overall, I, th I thought the, the chase scene was the the best part of the episode. Um, yeah, I thought it just injected some more energy into it when it kind of, it, it, I don't know. The, the banking story was cool, but I felt like it was starting to get a little bit soggy. I don't know. I, I do like that they were like, so who do you so so they were like Dave Filoni, who do you want as your main villain for this episode? Do you want like Corey Burton or you know your uh, or like your uh, what's his name Jim Cummings who's Hondo or something like that? And he's like, Nah, I got this. <laughs> and Is, like, did he do it himself? Is that the voice yeah, of Embo? Em yeah, Dave's the voice of Embo. So I just love the I primary antagonist for this episode. It's just Dave speaking like seven lines. Again, it's it's one of those things where I think I'm gonna describe more of my thoughts on this arc once like we're once we talked about all three of them. But it was a great start to the episode. The speeder, the snowboard chase was easily my favorite part, just because of how ridiculous it was and how they just stuck it into a normally just incredibly somber and serious episode. Uh, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought that this was a this is a fine arc. I, I'm not really super into like Clovis as a character, so I do particularly enjoy how this arc ends. <laughs> um, but he's it, one of the things that sticks out for me every time he says Padme's name. He always says Padme. Padme. I just think that's so annoying. <laughs> so uh, also R.I.P. Tekla in this episode. R.I.P. Uh, Tekla. Yeah, Handmaid did not last too long in this arc. It's too bad. That is a yeah. man. Yeah, being one of Padme's handmaidens, that just that that seems like a uh, that seems like a rough gig that seems like a really rough gig I'm yeah i was about to much. say it is a two woman body count in three years we're saying yeah i mean that's not good um <laughs> yeah uh yeah i i felt like tecla's death actually was a bit unnecessary like i don't think it advanced a lot of the plot and i, I really did like tecla as a character but whatever uh jacob alice your overall thoughts thoughts. It was fine. I'm. I don't know if this whole arc really grabs me that much as some other ones do. I like when things are a little more Jedi heavy, um, but it was definitely cool to see kind of the banking set up and see a little more how that works. 
I'm with you with that one. I love Jedi stuff in general, but yeah. Uh, Jacob, yeah. want to wrap this up before we get on to Rise of Clovis? Yeah. Um, overall, um, not a bad start to the arc. I definitely like this this episode, this arc, more than I did watching it. Um, watching it for the first time. Um, but yeah, overall, overall, a, a pretty nice episode. Um, I thought did a reasonably good job of you know for for a for a kids show as it is not getting too um too bogged down maybe in a if it was in a different medium um or a, a you know if the circumstances were different they would have gone in depth into the the banking intrigue and i think some political intrigue related to that would um for for me that would that would not be unwelcome at some point but yeah i thought it did a i thought it did a reasonably good job yeah, um, uh, if no one else has anything else to say, then we should probably get on to The Rise of Clovis, um, the episode where uh, an old woman comes up to Clovis at the end and asks who, it, who he is, and he says, Clovis, uh, Clovis Skywalker. Um, <laughs> it's weird for me to make a joke about that because I didn't, do genuinely like that moment. But anyway, uh, fortune cookie is jealousy is the path to chaos and what chaos there is in this episode. Yeah. This one's incredibly appropriate. I mean, given what the conversation that Anakin has later with Padme, where he, what does he say? I demand that you not speak As to your husband. Work. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> like every, I, I forget that that happens every time I watch this, this arc, but every time I watch it, I'm just like, the hell did he just say? Did he yeah, just what? say that out loud? Like, oh my God. Yeah, like in between, between Clovis, Anakin, Palpatine, Padme just—it seems like Padme just deals with a lot of sexism in her job, and and in this in this episode especially, you know, with with the, you know the way Clovis treats her and the way that uh the way that Anakin obviously says that. When I heard that, I was like, "Whoa, dude, really, really?" Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that and definitely shows where Anakin is at, um, because he is nothing if not jealous. Yeah. in general and especially in this episode yeah i also like <laughs> i also just like that um you know padme runs away from anakin to clovis who who also sexually harasses her and then he, and, and then she's brought before dooku who's like hey all those dreams you got over there in the next episode all those dreams they're nothing everybody has a price your whole lifestyle is nothing i'm like can padme catch a break no she can't in this arc <laughs> yeah uh it's it's incredible uh and it's incredible how ridiculous this whole thing is um yeah um let's see i mean i will say this is a uh little sorry, detail ahead, oh sorry i didn't i didn't hear you go ahead um you know palpatine obviously assigning pad when he assigns padme to work closely with with Rush, um, it, it just another example of exacerbating Palpatine of Anakin, sorry, Anakin's attachment problems and his possessiveness, possessiveness, and pushing him closer to the dark side. That's just to me that is that is peak Clone Wars, and that is one of the uh, it's it's one of these many in the Clone Wars blink and you'll miss it moments of that is what it's all about. Of this is what Palpatine is is doing 
to Anakin to um to try and slowly drive him drive a wedge in between him and the the people that he loves and that he cares about that are kind of keeping him tethered as Eli as you said to the light side as he is wrestling with everything that he is dealing with that's the constant manipulation yeah it it's crazy how many strings palpatine just manages to pull over and over again in this arc um it's also crazy just generally um how much anakin does on his own um that line that will always stick out for me for this episode which is anakin deciding hey i want to write a fortune cookie for myself a serpent can set wow a serpent can shed its skin but it is still a serpent. And yeah, I'm I feel like, like that was a Jedi fortune cookie that was like in their back pocket and they just never found a good use for it. And they're like, I don't know, just have Anakin say it. Like, I, I thought the same thing. I was just like, that sounds like a Jedi fortune cookie, but good good on you, Anakin. That's some wisdom right there. Yeah. I, I was going to say the only ir- irony is I feel like it's kind of an anti-fortune cookie because I think the Jedi do believe generally in redemption. And I find it funny that Anakin's talking about how redemption is bullshit when redemption, like, basically, he's redeemed and he basically saves the galaxy, like, 30 years later. Yeah. So, sure, Anakin, talk to me about how redemption is overrated in 30 years and get back to me about that one. Yeah. yeah. Clovis is going to be a little bit more relatable at that point, I think. Yeah. yeah. Wait, okay. <laughs> I just realized that one. Okay, cool. And I mean... Once Dooku gets involved with Clovis, that that's when you know, that's when you know shit is getting real for this episode, in my opinion. Um, it, with with Dooku, you know, manipulating manipulating a, a Clovis, it's amazing how there really is nothing in the Clone Wars. It seems that is not actually Palpatine just just pulling the strings. Like there is no lengths. To which he will not go to ensure that everything falls into place in the Clone Wars. And it's it's cool to, to see that and to see the extent to which yeah, this he really is, is he really is driving everything and it's kind of interesting watching Dooku basically just be the middleman in this episode between him and he's yeah. like middle management in this one. Yeah, I feel bad. I feel really bad for Dooku because Dooku gets the rug pulled under him because he knows about Order sixty six. He he thinks that he's gonna be be with Palpatine when it all when it all goes down, and then a little just a little bit too late in Revenge of the Sith, he realizes that he was he was just a part of the game as well. Yeah, Dooku is a really weird role in this episode because he's I feel like he's in servitude of Palpatine more in this arc than in any other arc we've seen so far um it does seem like Sidious is the one running the show here um yeah speaking of uh master and apprentice relationships there are three lines in this episode that pain me every time I listen to them something wrong you tell me not that I'm not that I'm aware it's Anakin and Obi-Wan's conversation where they get so close to being honest with each other about their respective love lives, but just don't quite <laughs> get there. It's I mean, so annoying. I mean, I don't know what you all think, but to me, that scene really seemed 
like Obi-Wan was trying to to find a way to kind of on the down low say to Anakin a little bit, look, I know there's something up and whatever's going on, you have to you have to figure it out. Like maybe he knows maybe he knows that um that Anakin and Padme are uh, more than just friends. I don't know. That's how it that's how it came off to me, but I'm I'm curious to to hear what other people would have to say about that. I love this scene so much and I am going to uh, the fact that he brings up Satine by name is just what seals the deal for me for this scene. I just love that. He's just like, like my dude, come on. I've been through this. Like, it's not like we're not allowed to have these feelings. Like we just have to like figure out how to cope with them. It's natural. And the fact that Anakin still like, that's the person that he's like closest with in this world, or at least in the order and like that he still cannot be open with him. And this is the part where I'm going to shoehorn in something about the High Republic because I just have to. But it's, it was always watching this episode with that context. It was really interesting to kind of think about how Anakin like compares to a character like Elzar Man. And I'm not going to spoil anything for any of the High Republic stuff, but like Anakin just has no one to confide in in the Order and like no one to understand who's like what he's going through. And Elzar has he's got Avar and he's got Stellan and he's got Orla to like help him face his darkness and like find coping mechanisms and the fact that like Anakin can't even confide in Obi-Wan of all people, it just is like goes to sort of further emphasize like how isolated he really is in his situation. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's sad. It's really sad for him. Um and I think back to like sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I think back to like um uh Ahsoka also in the Zigerian arc. Where Obi-Wan's just like, yeah, Anakin has a little bit of a thing about slavery because, you know, he was formerly enslaved. Just don't, don't, don't do anything about it. Just let him be. And I'm yeah, like, don't no. bring it up. He doesn't like to talk about it. Don't bring it up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, don't do that. Just, okay, communicate with each other. Yeah. Uh, actually, there was a line that I loved. Um, this is just a weird Easter egg that I noticed. It sounds like uh, when Padme and Clovis are talking about the Munes, it sounds like Munes are good people. Most Munes are. And to that, Clovis, I say, i got a bridge to sell you about this guy named Darth Plagueis the Wise. Have you ever heard of him? He's, you know, he used the Force to influence Metachlorians to create life. You know, maybe you heard of him. Uh, Plagueis the- is to Munes as Palpatine is to humans. We're not all bad. Just most that, of yeah. us are bad, you know? That's, that's true. No, I... I like you, Laura, I will never miss a chance to shoehorn the tragedy of Dark Plague. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, let's see. I also liked in the scene with Anakin and Obi-Wan how Anakin was constantly just, like, fixing things and playing with his ships. Like, there's that thing where, where Anakin goes, I understand my responsibilities, and he puts, like, a, a toy, f- a model fighter down on his table or something. And I'm like, like father, like son. <laughs> yeah. But it's all, it's also like, it's almost like he knows how to be a general better than he knows how to be a husband. I also just thought he was like actually fixing something important. Like I thought he was like working on some kind of machinery. Like I didn't realize he was like playing with a toy until he put it up. I was like, Oh my God, dude. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was like some background detail. I, I heard about like, you know, the Jedi, um, the Jedi frown upon Anakin's uh, constantly tinkering with ships, um, but Anakin defends it as a practice of moving meditation. I'm like, 
Okay, what does the Jedi Order like about Anakin? <laughs> Literally nothing. Mace Windu, would, if he was here, he'd answer nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, citizen. Uh, His luscious <laughs> locks of hair. There it is. That's it. <laughs> that's that's it. And the fact that he could maybe probably not be the chosen one. Um, no, that's probably another reason that he hates him because it, like Windu's bald, so he's just like probably <laughs> jealous that Anakin has that lush hair. Yeah, I know. He's just like. Yeah, and his, his jealousy leads to chaos, and does. I will I, I will cause chaos if. <laughs> I would like to point out that Windu's contempt for uh, for Anakin only increases throughout the Clone Wars, and and his hair finally to Revenge of the Sith as his hair grows <laughs> longer and more luscious over time. So it what just... we're saying is, Windu's contempt is symbolized by Anakin's hair. Mm-hmm. Yes. That everything. is what we're saying. Yes, this is a, this is very, uh, very deep. This is the <laughs> deep, hard-hitting, high-level Star Wars analysis. You, uh, you know and love, everyone. Yes, yes, yes indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Th- th- uh. Anything uh, either of you, Laura and Alice, have for this episode? So my favorite part was when they were having dinner and I'm like, Padme looks on point. Her hair's awesome. Her dress is awesome. You know, she's pouring the wine. I'm like, you go, girl. This is great. But then she starts serving the food and it's just like two tomato slices. It doesn't even touch the space turkey legs. And I was like, what? Those look delicious. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe she's a vegetarian. Yeah. And maybe it was like there was that thing they were describing in the episode where like in that dinner conversation where they were trying to save refugees on a planet, I believe. And they're like, we didn't eat or sleep or drink. And, and maybe Padme is like, you know, that worked pretty well. Let's replicate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alice, I thought you brought up a good point. I think the Clone Wars does tend to suffer from disappointing food syndrome. You know, this is a, this is a fantasy galaxy. <laughs> where anything can happen and the food is always just it, it looks really underwhelming it does not look it does not look as 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 fanciful or nearly as out there as you would expect and we even we see in um gosh in um what is it season two the geonosis arc um ahsoka and and barris literally sit down in the mess hall and eat plates of little gray squares <laughs> Like they they have some, like they have some serious problems. I don't know if, man, like do the clone troopers like they have their ration sticks? Like do they just have scurvy? Do they do they get vitamin C deficiency? Like what 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 is going on there? Like, I need to know the chemical makeup of these rations. I need to know if there's vitamin C in them, and if there's not, I also am curious if scurvy is just widespread among the troops. I don't and, know. And like you know, you think there's calcium in there because if they're not, like their bones would just be somewhat so brittle and they'd break in battle. Um, if if there's not calcium in there, there's gonna be hell to pay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hope those clones. Uh, I hope they drink their blue milk. Or something they're, yeah. they're getting nutrition somewhere in there yeah. it's funny that you brought up the food i like didn't even notice the food in that scene because all i could pay attention to was the fact that padme was just like sort of put off by clovis trying to make a move on her and her response to that is to stand up bend over and basically like, lean her ass right in his face <laughs> while she's helping herself to food i'm like girl like come on like you're now you're just now you're just 
asking for it and being a tease. So like, yeah. this is just like, this is ridiculous. That was and she was fixing his her. plate too. Yeah. With like, like two tomato slices and a craft yeah. cheese. And I'm like, <laughs> if you don't want them to think you're together, like stop when Clovis is appointed the head of the banks, I think it was at the end of this one or the beginning of next one. Like they look like they're in love the entire time. I'm like, if you don't want to look like you're in love, stop looking like you're in love. Avert your eyes. Yeah, no. I almost said Palpatine. Palp Palpatine and Clovis, anyone? I, I wouldn't mind that. That would be an interesting ship, actually. I think that has mm -hmm. some... That would have some interesting ramifications and some I interesting potential, I think. But Okay, you put that image in my head, Jake. <laughs> pa Padme and... Padme does not do a very good job of kind of dissuading... Um, Clovis of the of the notion that that um that she's there for more than than just politics um but she's I mean to be to be fair to her she's in a tough spot obviously she doesn't want people finding out about her and Anakin and then and Clovis can't say no she's put yeah and she's she's but she's put in this tough spot where she also wants does she want this this um this deal her deal with with clovis finding out what's really going on in the banks does she want that bad enough that she's willing to give him romantic attention and lead him on to get what she wants i mean i think that's one of her strengths in this yeah. when it comes to clovis is that she really she can really weaponize that in a way that i think is sort of fun to watch to watch her kind of put that to use um, and use it as a strength is, I think it's just a fun way to sort of, uh, just to kind of take her character in that direction. It just makes her more interesting as a character to me. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I think the, the big problem for her again is, you know, how does, how would Anakin react to that? And I think it's an, it becomes an interesting dilemma Obviously, Anakin, he's doing way too much in this episode. He is he is way too possessive, but but it still is an interesting question. I think of when you're when you're someone when you're a power couple like Anakin and Padme, who are both you know obviously constantly making huge sacrifices to do what they do for the Jedi and the Republic. Where do you? Where do you draw that line? Does romancing someone else? And I should point out, like in Padme's defense, like Anakin, when he he is totally romancing the 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 queen of Zygeria in the um in the Zygeria arc in season four. So it's it's not exactly like he's never been in in such a situation. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, what, there's like I mean, there's know. there are definitely moments where he like shows contempt for politicians besides Padme, but like he does the same thing where he's like he uses his charm as a weapon and that's a, that's very much a like a politician move. Um so yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because she definitely does that in this episode and, you know, we don't ever get to see her act jealous towards Anakin when he's hitting on a Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. Though I, I will say I'm not sure she knew that. That's the other that's the other advantage of him being like so off world is she probably doesn't know that. Um Oh yeah, would he ever tell her? No. He no. would he would not bring that up. No. Yeah, the no. more the more we talk about it and the more I think about it, 
and now I'm just having a whole new world in my head because of the scene where the queen of Nigeria and Anakin are flying and he, she puts her, her head on his shoulder and you could swear Disney music was playing. There's a lot of <laughs> shipping action happening in this conversation. Apparently. I'm <laughs> Apparently. Um, but yeah, Anakin is, maybe he's not being very fair. Maybe, maybe he, um, yeah, I mean, he really, um, obviously very, he is being very possessive, um, but I think that's one of his uh, that's one of his hallmarks as a character is that when he is attached to people, and we see this, we've seen this before with Padme earlier in the Clone Wars. We see it a lot with Ahsoka. When he gets really attached, there comes a certain point when he no longer wants what is best for the bigger picture he wants more than anything what will give him a sense of a sense of security and a sense that he is doing a good job at at protecting the people he loves namely ahsoka and 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 padme yeah it's pretty and easy I, for him to lose focus yeah and and, and yeah. It's not it's not hard to see why, you know, with his experience with his with his mom. And I think and you know, coming up, Anakin, incredibly powerful, gifted, talented Jedi who has had an experience some traumatic experiences. It's not hard to see how he's convinced himself he's almost convinced himself people are only safe if they're with me or if they're doing something that I've sanctioned and that I've determined is safe, which obviously is pretty, I think that's, that's pretty unhealthy for him. And that, that kind of drives his, his attachments and his inability. Ultimately what leads to his downfall is his inability to, to control his attachments as a Jedi kind of kind of needs to in order to kind of live an extreme life um there, there was a line that references that that i was just about to bring up um when padme says um i don't know who's in there sometimes and i instantly saw vader like almost engulf and like in my own mind vader engulf anakin because like it's this weird metaphor where you have like you know Vader is obviously not there, but it does feel like Anakin's soul is half Vader and half Anakin at pretty much all time. Uh, and it's just whoever decides to come out at the moment. Yeah, and the later we get into these seasons in the Clone Wars, I think the more you see it. But yeah, it definitely comes out in in, in season six and definitely in this episode towards the end. Yeah, it's it's scary. There's also that line which is so weird that i just want to bring up um when padme goes both of you stop this and anakin says you don't have a say in this i'm like yes she does sure she does yeah only person who should have a say in this yeah she's not she's not the one who has decided to to beat the crap out of clovis (laughs) no fight me like a man without your jedi tricks yeah and I mean, I think there's something to be said for the scene after 
Clovis gets beat up. You know, it gets pretty raw in between Padme and Anakin. And I, that's that's the one thing that I, I really think is is special. Or one of the things I think is really special about these episodes is Laura, as you said, the glimpse into Padme and Anakin's marriage that we don't really get in the prequels. I think that personally, I think that's quite welcome. Um, I will say there was this interesting thing before we wrap up the episode. There was this great part of the story where they split, where Anakin and Padme split. And I feel like it's a shocking move for the story, but it really works for me in the story because of the situations that both characters are in. Um, And if they didn't reconcile so, like, I wish their reconciliation had been a little messier, frankly. Um, Because it just felt like, so we love each other again now. Yeah, to me it seemed, yeah. Yeah, I I thought it was out of character. How, how quickly Padme kind of was willing to reconcile with Anakin and the fact that she was apologizing. I, I felt it was really Anakin who uh, was just not being, not being a good husband, not being compassionate or patient or understanding with the situation. But that, that's just, that's just my opinion also, you know, there was this um, theory that I saw online. I don't know if I, the, any of the three of you have saw this theory that Luke and Leia were conceived shortly after the events of this arc. Oh, so, I've not given it any thought. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What, 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 what spurs that theory? I don't really. Basically somebody charting out the canon timeline and realizing that this was probably around nine months from when Revenge of the Sith was. Which is weird. Keeping that context in mind. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, do we want to get on to Crisis at the Heart? Let's do it. Okay. Let's. Do, um, our fortune cookie is deceit is the weapon of greed. It's yeah. a weird one. It's a really strange one. It feels a little bit like a truism that is not necessarily super unique to this episode. But yeah, I mean, obviously the links that Clovis is willing to go... Um, even though he has noble intentions also, you know, it's, it's impossible to not imagine that he also is, is thinking about himself and, and his, uh, his own ambitions and everything that, uh, that he's doing. Um, but I mean, the, in the announcer reel for this episode, I thought it was super unfair of them to say that Padme is the one throwing her and Anakin's relationship into peril. I can't remember exactly what she says. She says, I can't remember exactly what the announcer voice says. It's like, oh, she, something, something, she does something throwing their relationship into peril. I think it's, I think it's more Anakin personally. I feel like Anakin is the one who's, you know, he's, he's obviously very jealous, very quick to anger. Yeah, somebody, whoever wrote that had a bias, I think, against her yes. for some reason. It's like he definitely was the one who owed her an apology. And, like, she was, she honestly, I think, was trying to do the mature thing by being like, you know what, like, let's give each other a little bit of space here. I think that might be healthy for us. Like, why don't you go do your thing? I'll do my thing for a while. And that, once we maybe come back together again, maybe we'll have cooled off. And I think that that's kind of the main goal here for a little bit. Um, but you know, So she tried, I think. Yeah. But, 
What can you do? Especially yeah. when Palpatine's pulling the strings, and I was thinking about the very, like, almost the Arthurian picture of where Anakin, uh, of how Palpatine manipulates this thing, where Anakin's like the knight in shining armor going to rescue the damsel in distress from the evil man who wants to steal her away, um, and how Anakin gets painted as, like, the hero um, who will do anything to, uh, it, he's almost like the Superman in the universe. Um, that definitely occurred to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, did anybody, was anybody reminded of uh, when Commander Thorne sacrificed himself on Scipio? Did anybody else think of the 2D Clone Wars micro-series, the Tartakovsky micro-series, where a clone, like, does a mini version of the same thing? I mean, I've only seen that once, so no. <laughs> yeah, I haven't uh, seen that yet. I mean, I think I've only seen. I'm not sure. I see that GIF all the time. Yeah. I mean, it definitely brings. It definitely feels like a throwback to the early seasons of the Clone Wars, when we just get a lot of clone and droid battle action, and also definitely to the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, where you know you just have clones going out just kicking ass and, and taking names like nobody's business. Um, so I, d I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, RIP Thorn. RIP Thorn. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty epic last stand. But I mean, I think the political intrigue kind of picks up in this episode. Dookie's plan to manipulate Clovis. Yada, yada. Time to make Clovis look like a powerful separatist. I thought that was a great line. Um, but... I was surprised think, thinking about it, thinking about having having rewatched a lot of the Clone Wars at this point. This is quite a risk for Palpatine, letting Dooku make Clovis betray the Republic when he put his stamp of approval on Clovis to get him into power in the first place. Uh, it still serves his his bigger plan, but it seems like quite a risk for, for Palpatine, who usually tries to operate more on making himself look good and kind of gaining gaining popularity in order to to cover for his um his power for his, his power grabs i think it could part partly be in a sense his way to get more power over it you know if he had said okay i'm just going to handle this first Da, da 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 that's one thing but if someone takes it over kind of screws with it it's like oh it's such a risk so i have to have full total complete control over it now you know it kind of gives them a little more wiggle room yeah that's definitely the name of that's the name of palpatine's game you know when he sets off he he orchestrates setting off a bomb in the in the coruscant power grid um in an earlier clone wars season to stop a vote that would um, potentially not let him borrow more money to make more clone troopers. So he, yeah, he's definitely no stranger to, uh, to doing, doing things like that. So yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. I think that he definitely is willing to kind of temporarily loosen his grasp in order to ultimately squeeze down further. Um, and, and another, another side effect of this, I don't know if this is something that he, um, he had planned this this also is another example of him manipulating anakin where he ultimately draws anakin closer to him 
because at the end of the previous episode he was he was like oh privately he was like oh anakin you're totally right privacy privately i don't trust clovis and now what do you know clovis has betrayed the republic and raised the tax and the uh, raised the oh. interest rates the, the interest yeah. rates thank you raised the interest rates is so so i think it's another example of of um palpatine basically he's basically saying anakin oh anakin and no one understands you no one no one takes you seriously. No one understands how smart you are, except for me. And th that's kind of what he does over and over again in the Clone Wars. And it's it's masterful how he manipulates. That's the way of the dark side. That's yeah, it's, ma it's masterful how he manipulates Anakin to where Anakin feels. And, and to some extent, it is real. But yeah, Anakin, ultimately, part of his downfall is he just feels more valued by Palpatine than by any than by hardly anyone else, I should say. Seven whole seasons of grooming. <laughs> yeah. And in uh like two movies. Uh it's it's terrifying. Um yeah. I will say, Laura, you mentioned you may mention this earlier. Um I wanna jump into the end of the episode when Rush Clovis kills himself. <laughs> but I does mean, he though? I mean, he lets go of the hand and like drops down, and yeah, it's it's a really weird thing because he was talking to Padme earlier in the scene. And he, he was talking about his legacy. He was talking about how people will see him, and apparently, people will now see him as dead. So that's an interesting way of going about that. I um, mean, it's Star Wars. I think no one's ever really gone. That's that's what we've learned over the. Good point. The past few years of of Star Wars content. Do you think Clovis so, yeah. is going to show up in the Book of Boba Fett? <laughs> I was about to say. Do you think at we're going to get Robo Glegs Clovis? At this point, I that wouldn't be the most surprising thing. Can't like, put it past him. I would not. Yeah, I mean, what Kersantin's here? Anything could happen. Maybe it's time not for, dead though. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's time. Good point, but still. <laughs> Maybe it's time for a Rush Clovis comeback. I, I think I could probably. I don't know. There, there's got to be some. There's got to be some niche pocket of Star Wars fandom out there who who are really into Rush Clovis. That's got to be a thing. Anakin would like come back from the dead just to like kill him again. I swear yeah. to God, I don't think. I have always said this. This has always been my theory about this. Rush Clovis was holding on to Anakin's like mechanical arm. Anakin could could have held him. He could have used the force to hold up both of them. He literally was just like, "Oh no, I can't hold you." And then he's like, then he lets himself go. But I'm like, I I will never believe that Anakin couldn't have held them and brought yeah. them both over. It's just that that will always be my theory for this particular uh, the end of this arc. Yeah. A chuckle I got is when Anakin was like, Padme, can you climb? And she's like, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> and I was like, how is she supposed to climb? Like, what is she climb supposed to do? Climb what exactly? <laughs> and then just nothing happens. You know? <laughs> she's got no core strength. What's she supposed to do? Yeah, she's like... I, relatable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and there's... It's interesting to me that um, Clovis, like, there's often a sense with him in this arc that 
he tries to make himself look as noble as possible without actually doing anything noble. Like, he lets go of the hand because he knows there's something going on between Padme and Anakin, but he doesn't know what. And he fights the guy an episode earlier, and then in the episode before that, he's like, uh, he makes up a story for no apparent reason as to why he's beat up. I mean, I, I think for that one, I think he realizes that it would not be in his best interest or in anyone's best interest for a massive investigation to happen as they're trying to discreetly figure out what the heck is going on with these banks. It would have been a huge distraction. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a really good point. Um, I do wonder, though, if maybe like we, we saw him voice his sort of concerns about like, what is this legacy that I'm going to leave behind? And I think at that point, while he's like hanging on for dear life, like kind of realizes like oh yeah i've really become the villain in the history here and this doesn't look good for me like i'll just do this one last thing and just like off myself so that hopefully the two of them can survive i guess yeah. i don't know and it's it's sad that's part is it's sad to me because i think at the end of the second episode kind of when clovis explains his story and explains why he's so passionate about about saving these banks and why he really believes in the power of a, a neutral bank system. Like I I kind of gained some I gained some sympathy for him. Like he he is he clearly is trying to do the right thing. And I think ultimately his his downfall, um like many characters, is that he tried to do the right thing and he uh to do that he ultimately was forced to do some bad things except help from some untrustworthy people and that that came back to bite him in the butt in the end yeah it's i don't know it's it's weird it's hard for me to feel bad for clovis because of how he treats padme um but like you know he was manipulated and deceived it's a very complicated story with rush clovis yeah i mean um, he's definitely a a complicated character like on the one hand obviously he definitely he betrayed padme before even if he wasn't totally for it he went along with it to to further his own ambitions in senate spy and he definitely kind of he definitely behaves like a, a bit of a slob towards uh towards padme but it, i don't know I, I can't help but have more sympathy for him after after seeing that he at least kind of does have he kind of does have good intentions even if he doesn't really know how to go about executing those in the best way yeah we should probably get to uh some of our questions jacob they're on the yes. document um we got five questions for the both of you um just some fun little star wars things that that um we're going to ask both of you about, so in any order, um, favorite Star Wars character for the both of you? Kenobi. Mine changes a lot. Right now, it's uh, Avar Chris. Oh. Uh, either, what is your movie ranking of the Star Wars movies, or just like your top five? Or top three, if you want. Or Yeah, or whatever. Top three, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One. Hmm. Interesting. 
Uh, I'm always Rogue One, Last Jedi, and then from there, everything kind of starts to shift around for me, I think. Maybe, like, maybe Force Awakens would probably be number three. Nice. By the way, I just want to point out, I got the Last Jedi shirt here. Hey. Um, uh, let's see. Um, next question. Uh, favorite non-movie Star Wars media that people are missing out on? Alice, any ideas? Non-movie Star Wars media. Um, I would say Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, everything the High Republic. Yeah, Very I'm good definitely show. behind on oh. my, uh, my High Republic reading myself, so I've got some catch-up work to do on that, unfortunately. But I've heard a lot of good things about them. Yeah, I switched mine. Books did not cross my mind for some reason. <laughs> I'll go High Republic as well. Uh, what is both of your favorite Star Wars background character? Oh, God. See, the, I can't remember if he actually ended up getting cut from the movie completely or if we do still see him. Um, it's the character in The Last Jedi that has, like, the one eye. He's like a Cyclops, like little naked guy uh he's in the visual dictionary but i don't think that he actually made the i think he ended up on the cutting room floor uh kedpin kedpin shocklop is his name <laughs> that's an incredible name it is yeah he's in the canto bite book thing right he has yes that's right so he's yeah. still canon but he I don't, I don't i really don't think he made it to the movie now that i think about it oh man uh, i don't know if i have one i always have a hard time with that question there's got to be someone doing something just like goofy that makes me laugh, but I don't know. That's fine. Uh, the final, the final one. Um, I'm gonna put up a character on the screen. Uh, just tell me how the both of you pronounce uh, her name. That's all it is. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm gonna get this up. Can the both of you see this? Yes. Okay. How do you pronounce this character's name? Zam Wessel. Yeah, that's, cool. That's what I would go with. Is there uh, a different pronunciation people go yes. with? Yes. Uh, so our our um our mutual friend uh, Devor from Allergy of the Force said he always thought it was Zam Wazell. Um and so we like to give him shit about it. Fair um, enough. So <laughs> uh, no, so he is currently we are currently so team Wessel is currently like We gotta be like thirteen eight. to two. <laughs> so, wait. so the Wazell, the Wazells are still the the Wazell team is still they're still hanging in there. They're yeah, still hanging in there. So we'll, uh, we'll see. we hope. Um. Anyway, uh. So, where can we find the both of you, uh, Force Toast, and everything the both of you do? Well, you can find Alice on Twitter at uh, Slaya All Day is her handle. Our show is at Force Toast Pod, and my handle is Shut Up underscore Laura. Our show comes out on Tuesdays every couple of weeks, um, and it's called Force Toast Star Wars Happy Hour. You can find it on all major podcast platforms. And I do a show with John Roca on his channel called The Jedi Way, and I jump in every once in a while with the Geek Buddies to talk about Star Wars stuff on his channel, too. So you can find me over there. By the way, Jedi Way and Force Toast both are phenomenal. Both uh, these days, I'm a regular listener of both. So, thank um, you. Yeah, no thanks. problem. And congrats on two years. Thank, thank you so you. much. It's it's been a crazy journey. Um, thanks so much uh, to both of you for coming on again. Uh, you can. 
find us at on Twitter at In a Galaxy Pod, um, Instagram at Star Wars in a Galaxy, uh, listen on Spotify, Anchor, and Breaker, and Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcast, we will be there. Um, you can email us at SWInAGalaxy at gmail.com with all your questions and hot takes and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, thank you so much to uh, Alice and Laura again for joining us for this episode. Next week, Jacob and I are going to be getting into a cult and some really weird stuff uh, with the Disappeared arc. Um, the Disappeared parts one and two. Um, and until then... May the force be with you, always.